Hi, and welcome to our podcast. My name is Dr. Woody Johnson, and we are sharing information with you today to take you and your trading to the next level. Now, what we're talking about today is the Four Fatal Fears, which was first introduced by Fritz Kunkel, a philosopher and author. And we think that it's going to truly support you in going as far as you can with all that you've got. So without further ado, we'll get started. You know, humans develop a set of typical responses to recurring events. These responses or patterns of behavior are like a list of rules. For instance, if you're driving, there's a set of rules for both safety and orderly traffic. And that's really important, isn't it, if you're driving? These rules are often unconscious. Rules or life stories involve cultural lenses through which the world is seen and judged. Rules about money, privilege, power, worthiness, and of course winning. Now not all rules serve us. If a bad rule goes unchallenged, then behavior can't be changed. But once the rule is identified, it can be challenged and modified. Consider this. Trader Dan believes in taking advantage of everything that remotely looks like it might be an opportunity in life. Now this belief or rule becomes accepted and generally may be okay. But there's a distinct disadvantage to overtrading. Now this powerful myth can cause your downfall in trading even though it can serve you in other parts of your life. You know what? It becomes a fool's rule. Now that's, that may sound kind of funny, but if you're under the, the boot of fool's rules, then it's not funny at the time. Let's give you a couple of instances or examples of what, what a fool's rule might be. What about this one? Get back to even by doubling down on losers. Yeah, that's a fool's rule for you. What about big position size makes big money? Now, of course, if you get outside of your position sizing and inappropriate to your account size, then you are going to not only increase your risk exponentially, but you're going to lose a lot of money each time you go down that route. What about this one? Stops only take me out too early. It would always come back. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I need to explain that one, guys. It's a big fool's rule. So the interesting thing is that the market does not resonate with most accepted cultural myths. The filter you have can often conclude something inaccurate unless you reprogram the map that it came from. That's why intelligent people can succeed at any other business and fail at trading. Now, what we experience when these things, types of things happen, things that go against us and when we lose as a result of making mistakes and not following our rules, is we, that's called self-sabotage. Now, to avoid self-sabotage means rewriting or reprogramming bad rules. But you've got to identify where they show up in your daily trading, don't you? You've got to be aware of what you're telling yourself, your internal mythology. Because if you don't, you will most likely execute in the wrong spot relative to the order flow, turning a potential winner into a loser. Because here's the deal, guys. You can't change what you can't face, and you can't face what you don't know. Now, there are a couple of exercises that I use to help people identify what their overall purpose is for trading. One of these exercises is called the eulogy, and the other one is called encyclopedia biographies. Now, they're kind of similar in that they take your perspective out to the end of your life. In fact, you've already passed away. You look back on your life, and you look at it from the eulogy's perspective through the eyes of your family because 
they are writing your eulogy. And with regard to encyclopedia biographies, it's an entry that's determined from your community. You know, how they felt about you. You know, in other words, with the eulogy and encyclopedia biographies, what they say about you, what kind of person you were, what was your character? What did you accomplish? Were you liked and loved and why? Now, these are very interesting end of life and what your life means kinds of questions, aren't they? They're really substantive. Now, we're going to pretend that we've got two sheets of paper, one on the right and one on the left. The one on the right, you're going to answer these kinds of questions that I just shared with you a moment ago. The one on the left is going to, I'm going to start that list off by asking you to think about what the average individual on the street would say they need on a daily basis to survive. And of course, maybe for some success. The average individual, what they say they're going to need. Most folks, would, average folks on the street would say, I need a job. I need transportation. I need power. I need money. I need status. Anything like that. You know, I need good clothes. I need maybe a, I need a big car. Not just transportation. I need a nice car. Maybe on top of that, I need a boat, a big boat. I need some bling, some jewelry. I want to look good. Now, we're going to say that these things on our left list represent the things you value and tell yourself that you need. Now, the brain-mind is always searching for meaning. Whatever you tell yourself that you need, your brain-mind will take that to mean that you need it to survive. To illustrate, let's say that Jack's self-esteem is tied to his job. Then, unfortunately, Jack loses his job. And what happens? Jack is devastated. Now, when the job fails, so does Jack. His survival is tied to this transient relationship. He has convinced himself that in order to survive, he must have and keep this job. Now, really in life, there are only four things that we must have to survive. Those four things are in the order of which we need them. Air, water, food, and shelter. But here's the deal. As soon as you tell yourself that you need one of those other items, your mind goes into survival mode. Now, what is survival mode? Here's an example. If you've ever felt that if you didn't get that car, that promotion, or house, or you didn't make money on a trade, something really bad was going to happen, that's catastrophic thinking. And when you think, take it to the end, you think that you'll fail, you'll be a loser, rejected, and deep down the pain is so acute, it feels like you're going to die. Now that's survival mode thinking, a set of survival rules. Long-term decisions are skewed by survival mode thinking, and the consequences can be devastating. Now, Fritz Kunkel, the guy we talked about earlier, basically talked about four fatal fears. These fears have kept you from creating desired results, those same end-of-life results that you say you want. Now, may, they may have little to do with jobs, promotions, money, cars, or houses. These fears are fatal to those precious things you said you wanted your life to mean. Your relationships, your character, your integrity, your honesty, the kindness, your service. 
Now these fears are not associated with violence or tragic accidents. You know, like the type of fears that you would feel if you're walking down a dark alley at 12 o'clock at night. The fatal fear is ego-driven and it's false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Now you confront these fears every day, even though you're not fully aware at the time. Now, fear stems from threat, either perceived threat or real threat. A threat to your physical integrity, a threat to your mentality, a threat to your emotions, a threat to your spirituality. And it's also the perception that an unfulfilled need would cause pain or decrease in esteem or safety. Now consider the fear of failure. We're going to call that four fatal fears number one. With each fear, there's associated with a need. Now what do you think the need is associated with the fear of failure? What causes the fear of failure? Well, that's the need to be seen as successful or as a winner. As soon as you say, in order to be okay, in order to feel good, I need to be seen as a winner, then fear of failure begins to control your decisions. You might not try things where you can't guarantee success. Here's an example of that. If you sing in the shower and fantasize about being a pro singer, but you'd rather have a poke in the eye with a sharp stick than to sing in public, <laughs> then you've just experienced the fear of failure. What's another fatal fear? Well, that's the fear of rejection. What's the need on the other side of the coin of fear of rejection? Well, this is the need to be seen as loved and accepted. Now, these are brown noses, sycophants, people that are so afraid of being disliked or being rejected that they can't tell the truth. They can't be honest. They can't be direct. Here's another one. Fear of emotional discomfort. Fear of embarrassment or humiliation, looking silly. Fear of intimacy, conflict, and of being vulnerable. Now, the need on the other side of that coin is to stay in the comfort zone, the need to stay in your comfort zone. And of course, there's no growth inside the comfort zone. And the last, which is a real zinger with regard to traitors, is the fear of being wrong. The need on the other side of that coin is the need to be seen as right or to have all the answers. Now, do any of these fears sound familiar? I bet they do. How often do they, do they appear in your life? Now, as I said before, we've got two sheets of paper, one on the left and one on the right. The one on the left is the one that has all of the things that you or someone, the average person on the street would say that they need for survival and success. They need this stuff. They need to have big cars, money, houses, stuff like that. We're going to call that the playing not to lose. That's the title of this list on the left, and that's driven by fear. The one on the right, we're going to call the playing to win. That's driven by courage. That's the list of things that about your relationships, how you want to be remembered after you leave this earth, your integrity, your honesty, charity, your leadership, things that are driven by courage. Now on the left list, as I said before, these are prizes you're playing for at the cost of items on the right, the high value lifelong legacy list. Items on your left are 
things that we said that you need, you know, just to give you a quick uh, example again, you know, jewelry, money, clothes, boats, cars, maybe even a plane, I don't know. But at the bottom of it, the crux of it, the unconscious conversation may be something like this. I'll be seen as a winner and I'll avoid looking like a failure if I drive a fancy car, live in a big house, have lots of money, power and prestige. Now, of course, it's not wrong to want nice things. I want nice things, and, I, and probably you do too. You know, it's nothing wrong with wanting nice clothes and a nice house and a nice car. But what's the underlying intention? Are you craving status or do you simply enjoy them? Now, see, for many folks, winning and success are really not as important as looking like a winner or looking successful. Now, if this weren't true, you'd never catch people cheating, buying things they can't afford, and lying, etc. And the same thing holds true about being right. In fact, if you asked most people, in your opinion, would they say that it's important to be right or to have others think that you're right? A lot of folks would be the latter. In, in fact, check this out. Have you ever gotten into an argument with one of your loved ones? And two minutes into the argument, you realized with unequivocal clarity that you were wrong, but you continued to argue. Now, that may sound kind of crazy, but a lot of folks have done that. And in that instance, winning the argument and being right became more important than your love. So let's look at the right list. Items that you want to leave as a legacy before you die. Like we said, charity, service, compassion, integrity, honesty, character, relationships, bonds. For most of you, these two lists look very different. And on the right, that's the playing to win list. Now let me ask you a question, guys. Which list do you want to live on? And how many times, despite intentions, you found yourself on the left, living in the four fatal fears? We're going to give you an example of this through a metaphor. We're going to call that metaphor casino poker. Now, in casino poker, you know, even if you don't play poker, you probably already know that the house gets a percentage of every hand. And the house doesn't care who wins because they get a percentage of every hand. Now, in this metaphor, the house is life. And the pot, the ante that you're putting in, is time. Each day the house takes minutes, weeks, months, and years. And in the end, the house is going to get it all, all of your time. In, in fact, newsflash guys, despite our best efforts in any situation, we're all going to die. But here's the point. Do we live as though we're going to die? I would say that most people don't get anywhere close. Now, in this game of poker, poker where the house takes the time, our anteus time, we're going to say that the list has become a table on the left and on the right. The playing not to lose table on the left, and the right is a playing to win table. Now, at each instance, when a hand is, is dealt out, that hand goes to both tables at the same time. So the hand is exactly the same at both tables. 
Now let's go over what you win if you were at the playing not to lose table. You win the possibility of limited success and avoiding failure. You win the possibility of being seen as right and avoid being seen as wrong. You have the possibility of having the appearance of acceptance and avoiding rejection. And you have the possibility of emotional comfort and avoiding emotional discomfort from pressing the envelope. I don't know about you, but that is not a very attractive list of things to win, are they? The possibility of limited success and avoiding any failure? Because we know that high achievers on the planet have all had failures. They were able to achieve over time because they learn from each of those failures. So it's not about avoiding failure, is it? So that's what you're poised to win if you're playing your hand from the left side table, playing not to lose. You see, there are no guarantees. The same hand is dealt at both tables at the same time as I shared it with you a moment ago. Every time you play a hand at either table, you are betting the results of your life and you're giving your ante your time. Now on the right at the playing to win table, nothing's guaranteed, just like on the playing not to lose table. But of every hand that's dealt, you're saying, I'm betting that I can get growth and joy in my life. Out of every hand, I'm betting on a greater understanding, greater relationships, and living with integrity. So with every hand, you're making a decision, aren't you? At which table you're staking your bets. On the playing not to lose side, or the table where you're playing to win. Now, 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 am I saying that you can't have both in your life? Well, yes and no. You can say, I want the growth and fulfillment of a play to win life, and by the way, it's important to be seen as a winner and have acceptance. That's fine. And, and most of the time, that's going to be okay. But here's the deal. When the rubber hits the road, when you get to that event that's very difficult, and you have to make a choice. You have to stand up with courage or slink away. That's when you can't play both games at the same time. Think of situations in the past like Enron, MCI, the mortgage meltdown, the credit swaps, or any moral conflict where you've got to choose. Now, in those examples like Enron and the mortgage meltdown, people knew what was going on. People knew what was going on but they decided not to say anything. And just think of how we treat whistleblowers, people that will put their necks and their rear ends on the line to ensure the safety of the general public. They rarely get any accolades, and a lot of times they, they are treated very poorly. Now let's also go to the play to win table for a moment. You may be faced with a choice between great relationships and being right. Now, your play will be enhanced by playing to support your relationships with courage and honesty, risking discomfort for the sake of the relationship. So the choice between tables, playing not to lose or playing to win, is up to you. And it's a choice for life. Now, the great Helen Keller observed that in nature, there are no rewards and no punishments, just consequences. In fact, when you choose to avoid the four fatal fears, you guarantee yourself that when you come to those dozen choice points a day, especially in the trade, you're going to choose the path of temporary relief and not growth. When you consistently choose day in and day out the path of temporary relief, and temporary relief is what you do in order to decrease the anxiety and fear that you feel at the time in a trade. 
that's temporary relief because when you do something like moving a stop, chasing a trade, a few moments afterwards, you feel pretty good. You feel like you dodged a bullet. But so often, when you've done that type of rule violation, then you are met with the consequences, and a lot of times that's a loss, and it's a bigger loss than you, than you had anticipated when you first initiated the plan. So what happens is that in this instance, this type of instance, it becomes more than a series of choices. It becomes a hard-to-break losing habit built from faulty rules. The consequence is that playing not to lose becomes a life strategy, a complete plan for how to run your life and your trades. So here's the deal, guys. I want to encourage and invite you to stand up, have courage, identify your standard of excellence, and trade to that. It is about choices. Make the choice to be the best that you can be and bring your A game to the platform and keep it there. Well, this has been Dr. Woody, and I certainly enjoy sharing these few thoughts with you. I encourage you to have some outrageous joy, and of course, if you're going to be trading, may all your trades be green. We'll see you next time.